Well, this morning, as I mentioned last week, we're taking a break from our study in the Gospel of John to really focus on Christmas this Sunday, next Sunday, and then, of course, on Christmas Eve. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 35. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there with me this morning. Luke chapter 2 and verses 21 through 35. And before we get into that passage this morning, I just want to say to all of us, it is easy this time of year, and I think I hear it every year from very well-meaning Christians, that you know Christmas is so commercialized and... Our culture just looks at the commercial aspect of Christmas, and all of that is true. But I want to encourage you this morning, you don't have to be part of that. I believe that Christmas is such a sacred and beautiful time of year. There is so much beauty, in, even in the trappings of Christmas, but especially in the message of Christmas. And, you will be celebrating with your church family. Many of you will be celebrating with your individual families. And I just say to you, enjoy it to the fullest. Don't let the commercialization out there become such a negative, critical thing in your life that you lose the beauty of this great season. This morning, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture very, very early in the life of Jesus when Mary... And Joseph bring the infant Jesus to the temple. And this is what we read in verses 21 through 35 of Luke chapter 2. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses... They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit, into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you are prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. 
And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Well, our first point this morning is a man named Simeon. This morning, we will focus our attention on one of the earliest dimensions of Jesus' life, the presentation of the infant Savior in the temple. And it says in verse 21, at the end of eight days, this was according to the law of the Lord. After eight days, when Jesus was circumcised, this would be the time when a male Hebrew child would be officially named. The parents would have a name, but this is when they would publicly and officially say, this is his name. And he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Notice It wasn't that Joseph and Mary looked through a book of baby names and came up with Jesus. No, Joseph was told, you shall name him Jesus. An angel came to Joseph in a dream and said to him, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And Mary and Joseph, obedient to the angel, named their son Jesus. And in verse 22 it says, And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. After a woman gave birth, and because of all that was involved in the childbirth process, she would need to go through the rite of purification according to the law. And because in God's eyes, The husband and the wife are seen as one together, so one together that they go through it. It is called their purification, but I want you to notice very carefully this morning, it says, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Everything in Jesus' life had to be done according to the minutest details of the law because Jesus came to fulfill all the law. And this devout, young couple, very young couple, Joseph and Mary, are carrying out all of the commandments of the Lord in relation to their newborn son. And in verse 23 it says, As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Every firstborn son was to be dedicated to the Lord in a special way. 
We think of Hannah with Samuel, dedicating him to the Lord. Now, at this time, for many couples, with the birth of their firstborn son, it had merely become a formality. Oh, but not so with Joseph and Mary. They bring their precious son and they dedicate him to the Lord. But we know this was no ordinary child. This was Jesus. And he's not only being dedicated to the Lord, he is God's special anointed one who has come down from heaven. And in verse 24, it says, And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Isn't that interesting? Verse 22, according to the law of Moses. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord. In verse 24, what is said in the law of the Lord. Oh, they are following the law of the Lord in every detail. Now, it says that they brought a pair of turtle doves or were to bring a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, which is so interesting because in the law of the Lord, for the rite of purification, a husband and wife were to bring a lamb and a dove or a lamb and a pigeon. But there was a provision in the law that if someone was so poor that they could not afford to bring a lamb, then they could bring two doves, two turtle doves or two young pigeons. And that's what Mary and Joseph bring. And I know you've heard this before, but it is a reminder to us that it is very likely that Joseph and Mary were poverty-stricken, that they were among among the very poorest in their village. And isn't that interesting that this is the couple that God uses? And I I can't help but think we live in an age where we hear so often about the prosperity gospel and large churches preaching to people that if they're faithful to the Lord, then they will be wealthy and they will be healthy. But it wasn't so with this couple. No, Mary and Joseph were very likely very poor. And we think of our own Lord when he grew to adulthood. The Bible says that foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. It is likely that Jesus never even had a home of his own. But they come. Here comes this peasant couple. They come to give their son to the Lord, meticulously following all the guidelines of the law of the Lord. Well, it is at this point in the passage we are introduced to an intriguing man named Simeon. In verse 25, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. We don't know a lot about this man named Simeon. This is the first time we'll be introduced to him. He's never mentioned again in the scriptures. But oh, let me tell you this morning, what we do know 
is filled with significant content. There was a man in Jerusalem, his name was Simeon, and this man, the Bible says, the inspired word of God says, and this man was righteous and devout. He lived a righteous life in the sight of God, and he was devoted with his whole heart to the God of Israel. What a significant, important, precious thing that is said about this man named Simeon. And it says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. What does that mean? Consolation is actually a very easy word to understand. It simply means to console, like you would console someone in their time of grief or sorrow. He was part of a group of Hebrew people who were waiting and waiting for God to console his people. Oh, they knew that the history of the Jewish people for many years, hundreds of years, had been a history of exile, a history of bondage, a history of persecution. And even now, in this context, they are under the oppressive rule of the Roman Empire. But oh, there were those Jews, there, were that, there was that remnant who were waiting for Messiah to come. Not like other Jews who were waiting for a political ruler. They were truly waiting for Messiah to come and to free them from their sin and to be their savior. And they would cry out to the Lord, how long, O Lord, how long? So they were waiting. And Simeon was one of them. They were waiting for the consolation of Israel. And then it says that the Holy Spirit was upon him, which is so fascinating. The phrase here means that the Holy Spirit was continually abiding on him which at this point in the unfolding revelation of God is a fascinating statement. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon a person for a specific task to empower them for obedience or to empower them for some act of courage for the Lord. But we know that believers will not be permanently indwelt with the Holy Spirit until Pentecost comes. But here is a man in what appears to be a unique situation that the Holy Spirit was always upon him. What a man. This man named Simeon. And I just want to stop here for a moment and go back to that thought that the Bible says. The Bible says he was righteous and devout. Throughout the Old and New Testaments, it seems like every once in a while we're reading along and it's like we stop and it says, this woman, this man, was holy to the Lord. They were righteous. Their whole hearts were committed to the Lord. We see it with the parents of John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1. Verses 5 and 6, it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. 
Now watch what it says in verse 6. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. This is the divine evaluation of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. We think again in Luke 1, that famous passage at Christmas time, Luke 1, verses 26 through 30. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he, the angel Gabriel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Oh, my Gabriel, perhaps the most famous of all angels, the special messenger of the Lord, comes to Mary and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. He says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now don't misunderstand me. Neither Zechariah nor Elizabeth nor Mary earned their salvation. And none of them were righteous and devout or had favor from God out of their own strength. No. The lives they lived, they lived because of the grace of God and the mercy of God. But nonetheless, God in Holy Scripture points them out to us and says, look at them. He doesn't say this about all of his children, but he does about these. And I believe it was because God saw right into their hearts. And he knew what was in their hearts. And folks, that is so true for us too. God wants your heart. He wants your heart to be wholly committed to him It doesn't matter what other people may say about you or think about you. What does God think about you? When God looks into your heart this morning, what does he see? Oh, I pray that God would see in each of our hearts childlikeness and righteousness, devotedness to him, that he might favor us because of his grace toward us. Well, in verse 26, it says, And it had been revealed to him, to Simeon, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Oh, my. Somehow God had spoken to Simeon that he would not die before he saw the Messiah. What a promise. Simeon, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah come. What if God said to me or said to you, you're not going to die until you see the second coming of Christ? You'd be excited. You'd You'd wonder like Simeon. 
I wonder when that day is going to be. Now he most likely was an older man at this point, and we'll see this a couple of times in the passage. But the Holy Spirit said, Simeon, don't worry, you're not going to die until you see the Lord's Christ. And so we can only imagine that every day he gets up, washes up, goes to the temple. And the priest says, Simeon, what are you doing here? He says, I'm looking for the Messiah. And day after day after day, year after year after year, he would faithfully come. Folks, it's possible that he came day after day for decades. But he knew one day he was going to see the Messiah. He wouldn't die until the Messiah came. It was going to be. It was all going to take place in his lifetime. And that leads us to our second point this morning. Simeon and the child named Jesus. Simeon takes the infant Jesus in his arms and begins to praise the Lord. In verses 27 and 28 it says, And he, Simeon, came, notice, he came in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. Oh, wow. This peasant couple comes with this infant who's only eight days old. And he takes the baby in his arms. And he begins to bless God. Do you want to bless God? Then praise him. Because that's what Simeon does. I love that. It says, and he blessed God. We always think of God blessing us, but he blessed God. And we bless God when we praise him. And in verse 29, he begins his praise. He says, Lord... Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Oh, Lord, you can take me home now because I'm going to depart in peace according to your word. You have fulfilled your word. You have kept your promise. You have told me that I would see the Messiah before I died, and here he is in my arms and in verse 30, he says this, For my eyes have seen your salvation. Oh, let me tell everyone here this morning, verse 30 is at the heart and soul of everything we believe in the Christian faith. My eyes have seen your salvation. He's referring to the baby he's holding in his arms. And at the heart of our faith is this. Salvation is not a list of do's and don'ts that we keep. Salvation is not a set of rituals that we perform. Salvation is not even a particular lifestyle that we live. Salvation is Jesus. He is everything. <coughs> He died and rose from the dead and perfectly accomplished 
every single detail of our salvation and salvation comes only by receiving him into our lives as Savior and Lord, praying and asking Jesus to come into our lives. That is salvation. And Simeon says, For my eyes have seen your salvation. Notice verse 31, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. This is very similar to what we just looked at in the Gospel of John. The word peoples here refers to the nations. It refers to all people groups everywhere in the world. You have prepared your salvation in the presence of the nations and of all peoples. This wasn't done in secret. Jesus has come for the nations. He has come for all peoples, from every people group, from every skin color, from every language group, from every ethnic origin. All over the world he has come for them. And Simeon, in the power of the Holy Spirit, holding this little infant, says, you have prepared your salvation in the presence of all peoples. And follows that up with verse 32. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Oh, this baby. This little infant is the light of revelation to the Gentiles. He is the light of the world. He is the salvation for the Gentiles who are living in the darkness. A light has come for us, for us Gentiles, the light of the world. He has come for us. And aren't you glad from the very time of his birth, he came for the Gentiles. Oh, and he also came for his own people. He came to be the glory of Israel. How is he the glory of Israel? Because he is their Messiah. He is their salvation. He is the long-awaited one, the anointed one. He is the pinnacle glory of the nation and people of Israel. Oh, this baby, says Simeon, is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And verse 33, as you can imagine, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. I would have marveled. So you've got this, I want you to get the picture, this little, or this lowly, poor husband and wife. And I've shared with you before, it's likely that Joseph and Mary were only in their teens at this time. And this older man comes up and takes their baby in his arms, praises God with these great prophetic utterances. And they just marvel. Marvel at what is said about their child. Well, after Simeon praises the Lord, he turns specifically to Mary and proclaims a very significant prophecy under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice in verse 30, 34, And Simeon blessed them 
and said to Mary, his mother, so he is speaking directly to Mary, Behold, Mary, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. O Mary, let me tell you something else. Your son, his destiny, his appointment is for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Oh, it has always been and still is today that Jesus stands as the great dividing line. Some believe and give their lives to him, but others reject him and despise him. It is an eternal truth. There is no neutrality with Jesus. You're either for him or against him. It has always been so, and it always will be so until the day when the Lord returns. Mary, you need to know this. Many will rise, but many will fall, and he will be a sign that is opposed. Sign here is a strong word. He is a miraculous presentation of God, but many, many will oppose him. And in verse 35, it says, And a sword will pierce your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Notice in verse 35 that that first phrase is in parentheses. So the continuation of verse 34 is really in the second half of verse 35. This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed so that so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. O Mary, Jesus is going to reveal people's hearts. Everyone's going to be exposed. They're going to be exposed for who they really are. They may hide themselves from other people, but they cannot hide from God. He has come. He has come so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. But Mary, I tell you this, A sword will pierce through your own soul also. The word sword here, and I've shared this with you before, there were two types of swords that Roman soldiers used. One was the short sword. It was the double-edged sword, the dagger that they would use in close hand-to-hand combat. That is the sword that is talked about in the armor of God. Take up the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. That is the double-edged sword, the dagger. This is different. This is the long sword. If a Roman soldier could had the opportunity with an enemy to take out the long sword, he would thrust it right through his enemy, causing great pain and often death. Simeon says, Mary, a sword will bring piercing, anguished to your own soul also. Now some interpret this to mean that Mary would need a savior too. That she would have to deal with her own sins. And that is a possibility. However, the vast, vast majority of commentaries say that this is a reference to the crucifixion that Mary would be at the foot of the cross when her son dies for the sins of the world when he takes upon himself as the Lamb of God the sins of the world, and she would see 
him beaten. She would see him mocked. She would see the nails driven into his hands and the nails driven into his feet and she would see him in anguish and suffocation and suffering. And the sword would pierce her soul too. She would be in anguish as she watched her child, her son, crucified at Calvary. You see, when Jesus walked to Golgotha, he walked the street of Jerusalem, which many of you know has now been famously called the Via de la Rosa, which means the road of sorrows and grief. And because of this prophecy, because of this prophecy in Luke chapter 2, Mary has often been called the mother of sorrows. Her son is known in Scripture as the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And that grief would touch heavily, heavily upon Mary. I shared this in a sermon many years ago, and I happened to come across it again as I was studying this week. But we think of that famous sculpture called the Pieta. You may not be familiar with the name, but you are probably familiar with the sculpture. It was a sculpture done by the famous, the renowned Italian artist Michelangelo. The Pieta is Mary seated with the crucified body of Jesus in her arms. She is holding the dead body of Jesus. I, I bring this up to you because the Pieta is based on this particular passage of Scripture. Michelangelo based his sculpture on this specific passage of scripture. It is there in this prophecy from Simeon. So the gospel is set before Mary and now she has something else to treasure in her heart. At key places it says that Mary treasured all these things in her heart and you can be sure, oh my, that she is treasuring up all these things in her heart. And we can only Conclude. We can only assume that Simeon now departs to be with the Lord. He probably died shortly after this. Again in verse 29, he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. But I think there's one thing we can be sure of. One thing we can safely assume this morning and that is Simeon was filled with an overwhelming and indescribable joy and excitement. I can't even imagine the kind of joy and excitement that filled his heart. For he says, my eyes, my eyes have seen your salvation. He was promised to see the Messiah before he died, and he did. And folks, that ought to be said of us especially at Christmas, that we are filled with an overwhelming and indescribable joy and excitement. Yes, we should be excited about Christmas.
We should be, because the Savior has come. And by his grace, we have received him as Savior and Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this man named Simeon. By the Holy Spirit, he immediately recognized the Christ child, the baby who would become the Savior of the world. Oh, Father, we ask, let us, let us rejoice this morning that the Savior has come. And it's his name that we always pray. Amen.